Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. this journey through toxic Christianity, which is to say that we don't want to be toxic Christians, but instead that we do recognize that over the course of time, and history has certainly shown us, that we can develop habits, the ways that we talk and act with each other, and indeed the way we even think about each other, so that we can start to become a barrier to our effectiveness of preaching and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's important for us to look at those ways, and unfortunately, Christianity has been along long enough now that we can actually see a pattern that has emerged over time, that we can become very complacent, and then that's when we become kind of poisoned and infected by some of these mindsets and ways of being. And so today, we're going to be talking about legalism and the legalistic Christian. So legalism is defined as an excessive adherence to law. Now, if you go to the Encyclopedia of Christianity, and yes, there actually is one, (laughs) the theological understanding of legalism is this, a dependence on moral law rather than personal religious faith. And so that says that there are Christians who have become such that they look at the moral law rather than the relationality, the relationship that we have with one another and that rules are driving their understanding and the way that they exist in the world. And unfortunately, that will significantly impact, often in negative ways, how we relate to one another. Now, there is another option, and that is the extreme other end of legalism, which is antinomianism. That is the opposite, and it is a situational ethics, so that it's a belief that we are not bound to moral law. So back in the early days of Christianity, there were Christians who were antinomians, and they believed that they weren't even bound to the Ten Commandments. What kind of anarchy would that be, right? Lying, cheating, and stealing and murdering are now open for all, provided it's a good idea at the time. We are not in favor of that, and I'm sure you can see why that was quickly deemed a heresy, and we are not that to this day. We do not believe that. We do believe that the rules exist so that we can be safe, and so that we can be encouraged to be better to one another. And so it's important for us to make sure that this is the way we are existing in the world. Are we trying to be safe and keep others safe while holding that intention with being good to one another and empowering others to be good to us? So legalism has deep roots. And in fact, you can see it in the scripture that I read for you just a moment ago. So oftentimes, Christians look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the priests in the temple in Jerusalem, and the Pharisees are the ancestors of modern-day rabbis. They were very learned scholars of the scriptures. They were those that were teaching and instructing in the synagogues outside of the temple in Jerusalem. And so both of those are often deemed as legalistic people from the vantage point of modern-day Christianity. Well, there are... plenty of Christians throughout our almost 2,000 years of existence that have been just as legalistic. It certainly wasn't something that was limited only to back in the scriptures. And it's not fair to say that every single Pharisee or Sadducee were legalistic people. 
There are actually examples of those that were not, especially those that started following Jesus. They ceased to be as legalistic. And so we have to constantly wrestle with where we are on that spectrum. Are we those that are kind of middle of the way, which is what we love about Methodism, it's looking for that middle ground, that middle pathway through two extremes, or are we finding ourselves drifting to one side or the other? And those two polar opposite ends can create some significant issues, not just for each other, but for those of us that are trying to find the middle way. And in Jesus' day, that was exactly what he was struggling with. So when the Babylonian exile was over and the people were allowed to come back from Babylon, one of the things that they discovered was that they needed to tweak how they were worshiping. In fact, there had been a lot of people that had kind of built little high altars and little instances of holy places outside of the temple of Jerusalem, and they were doing worship there, sacrificial worship, which is supposed to be only in the temple. And so they came back and said, that's not a good idea. That's not, we're not going to do that again. But we need to have a place where people can come together on the Sabbath, where they can hear the word of God, and where they can find community. And that that can be a place where they are not just accountable to one another, but they are in right relationship. And so that was the birth of the synagogue. And so in synagogues all over the promised land outside of Jerusalem, you had the people that were in charge of that, where people would gather on the Sabbath and they would listen to the scrolls being read, either the Torah scrolls, those first five books of the Bible, or if you were in a more wealthy synagogue, you might have access to one of the scrolls of the prophets. And we know from our text, or in the earlier versions of our text, that Jesus' synagogue in Nazareth actually had the scroll of Isaiah. So he was able to not only reference that when he read to his people, but they actually had more exposure to what the prophet Isaiah was saying because of that synagogue. And so when he was in ministry, traveling around for three years, often he had interactions with Pharisees as they were confronting him in some cases. In some cases, they were intrigued and wanted to know more. And in other cases, when you entered into a town or a city, you were immediately drawn to the synagogue. That was kind of the epicenter of faith life in those places. And so Jesus would often have interaction with the Pharisees. And as it happens in our story today, he and his disciples were traveling. Now, the story says it's the Sabbath. So it would either be sometime between sundown Friday and sundown on Saturday for they're on a lunar calendar. So chances are this is probably early on Saturday morning. And the chances of that are because they have been wandering around. You didn't usually walk at night. It was very dark. They didn't have street lights or anything like that. And so it would have been the morning and it was early enough that they were hungry, but there wasn't a place where they were going to be able to find hospitality at that time. And so they're walking through the fields, and as is often the case when people are really hungry, they were looking for something to eat. And as they're walking through the grain field, some of his disciples start to reach out and kind of grab the grain and eat it. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. That's not an optimal way to eat grain. That's a desperate way of eating grain. They were so hungry that they were just eating raw grain. And unless you're a fan of like the really hearty wheat bread with like the oats on top, or like you eat a lot of granola, then that's probably not gonna be your thing either. And so they were eating it mostly because they were starving. 
They were homeless, itinerant people. They walked around and relied on the hospitality of other people to have a place to clean to themselves and their clothing, to have a place to lie down and rest, and to have a place to eat. And so here they are walking around, desperately hungry, and some of them reach out and start to eat. Now, the Pharisees, who are a very strict, legalistic people in practice here, looked at that and said, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. And picking grain is work. And you have now violated the Sabbath. And that's one of the Big Ten. So you don't want to violate one of the Big Ten commandments. And so they decide not to ask the disciples what they're doing. They decide to go right to Jesus, right? Because why would you bother asking a hungry person why they're eating? Instead, you could go to their boss and see if you could just get them into trouble, right? That makes more sense. So they go to Jesus and say, why are they doing this? Why, why are they doing this? Right? Like, like he's the parent and he should chastise his children, right? Why are they doing this? And Jesus says, <laughs> do you not know this story? Do you not know, which is, which is ridiculous because you know they know the story, right? You know, they're, they're the scholars. They know the story. Don't you know the story of David? And he's asking them about a story that's in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And in that story, David and his small group of elite soldiers have been traveling. And they are hungry. They're really hungry. And so they get to a place and they go looking for hospitality and help at a house of God. And when they get there, there's a priest, and they say to the priest, do you have anything for us to eat? Even just five loaves of bread. Five loaves of bread to feed David and his hungry warriors, right? Do you have just that? Could we just have some bread to sustain us? And the priest says, I don't have any food. All I have is the bread of presence. And so in those days, they would always have fresh bread on the altar where they were worshiping as kind of a, a food offering to God. And the rules were, and it says this in Exodus and Leviticus, that only the priesthood can eat it because once it's touched the altar, it's now holy bread and only someone who is in the ritualistic state of purity can eat that. So most of us default into clean. Now there are things that would make you go into unclean, uh, but you could have a mikvah and clean that up and then you could have something clean again. But the priest says, I can't just give that to you. Wait a second. How clean are you? Is what the priest says. Have you kept yourselves pure? And David says, yes, we keep ourselves pure and in a state of cleanliness when we are in warrior mode. And so we have done that. And the priest says, well, fine, then I will give you the bread of presence. So Jesus doesn't point this out to them, but they would have known, hey, not only did David, who you think is one of the greatest kings ever, do this, but it was actually a priest that did it. So technically, the priest breaks the commandments and gives David and his followers some bread because they were hungry. And that's what you do if you encounter someone who's hungry. And so he does this, and then Jesus points out to them, you know, it's interesting, you kind of pick and choose the rules that you want to follow, right? There are other rules that they knew that they didn't follow. For instance, repeatedly throughout the first five books of the Bible, God reminds God's people, you will welcome the stranger. And you will do this for you were once strangers in Egypt. So you are going to welcome strangers because you know what it's like to be strangers. Nobody wants to be the stranger. So learn to be hospitable. And time and time again, there are not just commandments, but anecdotal accounting and stories of those who had radical hospitality, Abraham being one of them. And so Jesus knows that they know that. But you notice, I love this about Jesus. He tells them they're wrong without just completely humiliating them and eviscerating them in public. 
but he does tell them this. Because the fact is that if they really wanted to uphold the law, then they would have welcomed the disciples. And they would have made sure that hungry people would have been fed. But instead, they wanted to make sure that they were following the rules, right? Following the rules. We've all known somebody who was like, you got to follow all the rules, right? You know, maybe you are that person. you got to follow all the rules. And the older I get, the less I'm inclined to be like, you got to follow all the rules all the time. And, you know, that's probably a statement more about me than it is anything else. But I can tell you the first time I encountered legalism. I was six years old. Six years old, the first time that legalism really, like, came into my life. And I didn't have those words at the time because I was in first grade. But what happened was I was in first grade up in Syracuse. And while we were living in Syracuse, um, it was kind of the first time that you actually had to traverse the schools. You know, you like went into the cafeteria and then you would go into other places. And so you were dealing with more adults than I ever dealt with previously in kindergarten. And I was back, I was in kindergarten back in Virginia. So it was like a whole new world anyway, right? And while I was there, I had a habit then that I still have now of, I don't like my hands to be sticky. I don't feel like that's unreasonable. I don't like my hands to be sticky. And so after I would eat, I would want to go and wash my hands. I washed them beforehand, because my mother's a registered nurse. And then you wash them afterwards, because they're sticky. And so that was how I wanted to exist. And back when I was in kindergarten, that was easy. There was a sink in the room, and you just wash your hands and be done. Well, there wasn't a sink in the cafeteria that I had access to. And so there was a rule that when you wanted to leave the cafeteria, you had to go to the, an adult. And back then, they didn't have the same great ratios that were required of adults to children. So in the entire cafeteria, there was one adult in charge. And so all the kids would line up. You know, imagine being like six and like being in a queue. Goodness, I'm glad I didn't have to use the bathroom. I just wanted to wash my hands. So you had to stand there with stickiness and wait for your turn to ask if you could go and wash your hands. So I did this and went and washed my hands. But then what happened is that sometimes by the time I got finished eating and got in line and got to ask for permission, it was almost too late to do it because then you had to go on to your next part of your schedule. And almost right after lunch, we had recess. And so one day I looked at that long line and I knew that it was almost time to leave because people were packing up. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm just gonna go wash my hands. I mean, I'm not gonna go out and rob a bank. I just wanna wash my hands. So I went and washed my hands, and I got caught going to wash my hands. Actually, I got caught coming back. You never get caught going, you get caught coming back. And so they said, what have you done? And I said, well, I just wanted to go wash my hands. Well, you didn't tell anybody where you were going. Like they did a head count and missed me. And so I was like, well, there was a huge line, and I just wanted to wash my hands. And so I discovered that legalism means that even though you were trying to do something that I thought was good, and by the way, after a pandemic, is very hygienic. I went and washed my hands, and they said, well, you broke the rules. So now you have to sit on the wall at recess. You ever sat on the wall at recess? It's a brick wall, that's not comfortable. And then it's embarrassing, right, because you're sitting on the wall. And I was a pretty good kid at that point. And so I was like, sitting on the wall, and all your friends come up, and they're like, what did you do? And I was like, I washed my hands! Right? I mean, okay, now, granted, that is not exactly how that would go in a court of law, that I washed my hands and I was punished. But I didn't ask permission. I didn't go through the rigmarole to get permission to go wash my hands. So I can tell you right now how hysterical it was when I got home and my mother read the little note that said they punished her daughter because she left the cafeteria 
And my mom said, well, why did you leave the cafeteria? And I said, my hands were sticky and I went to wash my hands. And she goes, let me get this straight. You got punished for washing your hands? Exactly. Exactly. And so now it was, well, you're going to have to do this every day of the week when you want to wash your hands. And I can remember thinking, this is, what am I going to do? Like the anxiety over I have to wash my hands. And those of you that know me know I'm a little OCD about that. And I'm six. What do you do with that? Well, fortunately for me, there was an incredible person who was my first grade teacher, Miss Gorman. And Miss Gorman, instead of ridiculing me or judging me, said, why is it that you go and wash your hands? And I said, well, every day I have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and my hands get sticky and I can't stand for my hands to be sticky, so I just need to go wash my hands. And I said, and I, I did that for the first few days, but that line gets really long and then I don't have time and then nobody wants to go climb on the monkey bars with sticky hands. And she, so she said, look, when I come to get you all, after you finish up in the cafeteria at lunchtime, we will go by the bathroom and I will let you wash your hands. Fabulous. That's what a Christian should do. She negotiated my needs with what the rules were. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. We have these rules because we didn't want people to work seven days a week, right? We're, we're a people that complain about having to work five days a week sometimes, right? Can you imagine having to work seven? And for those of you that have worked seven, it'll kill you, right? It'll wear you down. And so God said, you know what? These vessels are not good for that. You need at least a day. Not just you as a human being, but even your donkeys get a day. That's explicit. Every animal, any slave, everybody was supposed to get a day of rest. And notice they all got the same day. The same day so that everybody can rest. Because you need to let your bodies heal. You need to let your minds go. You need to reconnect with God and each other. Whether it's people in your household or your neighbors in your community or people that you don't even know that you're in right relationship with. You need to be able to reconnect and reconcile, and you need a day for that. Sometimes it takes a whole day just to get up the nerve to talk to somebody that you need to be reconciled with, right? And then you get to the end of the day, and you're like, I'll do it tomorrow. You need time, and you need regular time. That's what Jesus is talking about on the Sabbath. God gave the Sabbath for you, not for God. God didn't need to take a rest. God chose to take a rest, to set a standard for us. So that's why the Sabbath exists. The Sabbath, the Sabbath exists to keep us safe and to help us be good to one another. And then the Pharisees wanted to use the Sabbath as a reason to judge and hurt the disciples and ultimately Jesus. And Jesus is like, you are missing the point. <laughs> that is not the point. The entire reason that we have rules is to help. There are 613 rules or commandments in the first five books of the Bible. And every single one is to either keep us safe or help us be good to one another. Because if we violate one of those commandments, it also tells us how to fix it. It tells us how to get back to being good with one another. And that was the point. The point wasn't to, to memorize 613 rules, and I know rabbis that have. God love them. 
to memorize those and then use them to point out how bad other people are. But there's something about humankind, and this is not just an American thing, this is not even a Christian thing, there's just something about humankind that wants somebody to be worse than them. (laughs) I need somebody to be worse than me. That makes me feel a little better, right? I can't possibly be the worst, right? How many times have you heard somebody be like, well, at least I didn't come in last, right? Somebody came in last, but it wasn't you, and so that's okay. And the Pharisees were kind of doing that, but they actually saw themselves as really high, really high up there. And then they thought, because we're so high up in the, in the hierarchy here, it's okay if we start telling people they're not good enough. But what happens when somebody comes at you and judges you for what you did without understanding why you did it or taking the time to even ask you to explain why you did it and then just tells you that you're bad and doesn't just tell you that you're bad, tells you that you're violating God's rules. Makes you want to join a church, doesn't it? makes you really want to be a part of the body of Christ. And that's what people were experiencing in Judaism in those days. If you couldn't do everything that was expected of you, then you were bad. And you didn't just do a bad thing, you were bad. And then what makes you want to be good again so that you can hang out more with the people that told you you were bad? That's a great motivator so that I can just wait for the next time I mess up and I can be bad again? Jesus said that's not what it's about. That's not why the rules exist. The rules are here to help keep us safe and to show us and guide us and nurture in us being good to one another. And yet, even now, in modern Christianity, sometimes we focus more on the rules than we do the relationships. And we are a people that exist because God wants to be in relationship with us. If God wanted just to condemn us, we could have stopped at Genesis. This has been a great short Bible. We could have stopped right there. There was enough right there. We didn't even get halfway through Genesis before the flood, by the way. You don't have to go very far. But that's not what it's about. Five books in the beginning, about God helping these people, these stiff-necked people with hardened hearts, helping them to get into the promised land, helping them to experience what a relationship with God really is, and then helping them to see that a wonderful, miraculous relationship with God Almighty should be wonderful and miraculous with other people, and getting them into the promised land And there, they mess up just as much as they did in the wilderness. And so there are all these prophetic books saying, okay, you're messing up here. (laughs) And how many of the books actually say, you're doing all the right sacrifices, but you're messing up all the right relationships? It's not your incense and your songs. It's the way you talk and treat each other. So prophet after prophet after prophet trying to help people use the rules to help one another, not condemn and judge one another. And then we could just stop right there if you're looking for excuse enough to wipe everybody off the map. But then four gospel accounts, four different perspectives and vantage points and experiences with Jesus Christ who came not to condemn but to heal.
Reconciliation is about healing. Healing our brokenness, helping another heal their brokenness, and healing the brokenness between us. That's why Jesus Christ came. Because Jesus didn't have to come all the way down here and endure living as a human being to condemn us. That didn't need to happen. Instead, he climbed the hill to Calvary and gave himself up so that we could be healed. And then there are all those epistles, right? All those letters of church leaders and early apostles trying to help people figure out their relationships. You notice that things really don't get messy until they started having churches. Did you ever notice that in the Bible? You want to see some messiness? Start reading a letter. Start reading a letter. First of all, why are you all doing this? I love that. That's my paraphrase of Paul. There's messiness. It's me- relationships are messy. I remember at the first church that I served after I graduated from seminary, and the first time I actually wore the mantle of pastor routinely, we had a communion, and I don't know what happened. There was just stuff everywhere. I mean, it looked like we had like a Eucharistic party and just threw things in the air, right? You got done, and you were like, wow, that's messy. And we had Methodist red carpet, too, so it should have hidden like juice. So you know it's mostly crumbs, right? It's everywhere. And I will never forget, I watched, and this person was so angry. They were just waiting for the recessional so that they could come up and like talk about this, right? And so they came up to talk about it, and they were like, Look at this. Look at this. I'm myopic, but I can see contrast. Like, I can see it. And I was like, yeah, this is unacceptable. Granted, it has been five minutes since the worship service ended. I didn't, like, end the benediction with a Dyson. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's <laughs> give me some time. But it's very important for this person. And the person came up, and they were just so upset And finally, I was like, living in community is messy. You see this? It's messy. But guess what? We are going to clean this. I promise you. Now I swear to you, we're going to clean this. And when you come back next week, it'll start off clean. But there's going to be wrappers and bits of paper, bulletins. There's going to be stuff in here. It's going to get messy again. And we're going to clean it. And we're going to come back next week and next week and next week. We're going to keep cleaning and keep trying. Because we are not a perfect people. We're not a perfect people. Crumbs get on the floor. Hands get sticky. Hearts get broken. We are not a perfect people. Thank God we have a perfect God. Thank God. So in our gathering liturgy today, you heard what Paul was saying to the Roman church, and actually it was his final letter to all Christendom. And he talks about, stop judging people. You're doing the same things. You're doing the same things. And some of us go, well, I've never murdered anybody. That's right. You've never murdered anybody. Have you ever heard a relationship permanently? Murder will do that. Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours or taken something from somebody that you can't get back? Welcome to thievery. Have you ever said or done something that made a person feel like they were not even human? Welcome to the need for reconciliation. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. 
And if we want to get legalistic, then Jesus says, the standard by which you hold each other is the standard by which I will judge you. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. If you want God to forgive you of everything that you have ever done and not done, every impetuous and hurtful word you have uttered and the kind and loving and forgiving things you have not, then you have to forgive each other. You have to model the forgiveness that you want. And that is the difference between a legalistic Christian and one who's just trying to be a good Christian. And that's what we have before us. The rules that we have for ourselves, the rules that we have as a denomination, the rules that we have as the family of Christianity, as we are a part of a universal church. So we can't just sit here and go, well, you know, they're Catholic. Or, well, you know, they're Baptist. Well, you know, we're all Christian. And I know it's going to shock some of us when we all show up at the same kingdom to come. We're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to be here. <laughs> Don't you want to be one of the people that was trying to help all people get there? Don't you want to be one of the people that didn't create an impossible line? Because one day some child of God said, you know, my hands are sticky. I really just want to be clean. Can you help me? We are the people that know Jesus Christ. And yeah, maybe we know the rules. But if you have to choose between a rule doing the will of God, which one are you going to choose? Because that day is going to come. The day is going to come when you are on the precipice of Pharisaic action. And you'll be standing there and you will see the other person. And it will be your moment. You can stand in power and authority and you can rain down judgment upon them. Or you can put yourself in their place. And you can think, if I were doing this, how would I want Jesus to respond to me? And then do it. Do it with your words. Do it with your actions. Do it with your heart. Do it with your spirit. Do it with all that you are. And only then will we have transformed. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.